0: If you want to overcome overwhelm for once and for all, this is the place for you. Hello, Mama Docs, and welcome back. Today, I have with me a most wonderful guest. It is a fellow physician mom, and she is doing amazing work. I've admired the work that she's been doing on Facebook. And because of course, right, we make friends on Facebook and I'm admiring all the work that she's doing in the realm of addiction medicine. And I invited her to come on and share some of her stories with me. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Sarah Polly.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to finally sort of meet you in person. I know,
0: me too. We've been trying to connect for months, so I'm glad it finally happened. So tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into a story that I think will be really interesting for the physician women who are listening.
1: So yeah, so I am, I'm a psychiatrist by training. So I'm a um, child adolescent psychiatrist and adult psychiatrist. And then um, I have a special interest in working with young people and adults that have substance use concerns. And that could be anything from wanting to just discuss their use, you know, at risk use, all the way to patients that have pretty significant substance use disorders. I feel really passionately about offering integrated care to patients that struggle with both mental health and substance use concerns. A lot of the field of treatment of substance use is very siloed away from mental health, unfortunately. And so patients often have the experience where they might get their substance use treatment over here, and then their mental health treatment in a different place. And that, as you could imagine, with any type of chronic illness, that's really hard to navigate and not in a patient's best interest. And so that's part of the work that I do is to To not only do that in my clinic is to treat people for both mental health and substance concerns, but also to advocate for that within the field, because that's really what we should have been doing all along. And it's like now time for us to start doing that if we haven't been doing it already.
0: I love that because, again, as a primary care doc, I dealt with a lot of this as well. But to me, it's sort of like that chicken or the egg debate, right? Like, which comes first? You don't typically just have, you tell me, substance abuse disorder without some underlying medical condition. And I feel like for most people, it becomes a slippery slope, unfortunately, of maybe self-medication for a, excuse me, for a mental health issue, people start to self-medicate and then it becomes a substance abuse issue. So I love that you're really attacking both. Because I think that that probably gets great outcomes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in... Like before we really understood much about substance use, people used to say things like, oh, well, you know, if you had mental health first, then you should go get that taken care of. Or now that you have substance use, you obviously have to stop using before we could even address the mental health. And we now know that all of that is just garbage. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: We need to address the whole person at the same time. And we could drive ourselves crazy trying to figure out which came first. But yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We just need to help you with both. And so, you know, yes.
0: Well, thank you for that amazing work. I'm so grateful. So tell me, I know I've been seeing online that there's been a big transition for you in the last year. Would you like to speak a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's it been interesting. The past year has been interesting for me. And I think, um, you know, with my passion in specifically working with young people with co-occurring illness or mental health and substance use concerns, that had always been My driving force. Like, I felt like in my career, that is my purpose. And, you know, as I think a lot of us mom docs are very high achieving. And so, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I have to find the best place in the world that I could potentially work to be able to do this because I want to make a difference and I want to help people. And that was kind of my motivating force. And so, you know, I had been working here in Minnesota for an organization doing a lot of different things, including substance use care, but also, you know, just general mental health work with young people. And an opportunity came about where I could take on a very large leadership role in a large organization that had a national presence and be able to specifically work with young people with substance use concerns. And so it was like, on paper, a dream, right? And like, I went through a lot of like, the imposter feelings that I think a lot of us do as I was looking at the job and applying for the job, thinking there's a million people more qualified than me. The applicant pool is a national applicant pool. Why would they pick me? You know, all of these kind of thoughts went through a really pretty rigorous interview process. Probably one of the most rigorous interviews I had ever been. I actually had to take a cognitive test as part of the interview, which was kind wow. of, yeah, I'm sure yeah, you nailed no. it. I'm sure you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Try to make you, that's a way to make yourself feel bad as you do a day of interview. And at the end, you have to answer math questions. I was like, Oh, "Oh my my gosh. (laughs) But anyway, so like it was set up to be this really big deal. And, you know, in joining, it was a big deal. I mean, I got a lot of really amazing opportunities. I met a lot of wonderful people, both local and national people. Really, there, there was a platform for advocating for the very thing that I'm incredibly passionate about, which is the prevention of substance use disorders and the treatment of substance use disorders and the destigmatization of use of substances for our patients that struggle with that. And, you know, additionally, Part of and people who are familiar with me or my work probably have seen this, but part of it too is the personal story and that like I had a dad that passed away secondary to alcohol use, and so that was also part of kind of motivating me for this position and wrapped around into the position. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I was just gonna say I'm gonna just stop you right there and say that's actually where I first found out about you is there was a beautiful article in I believe some family or not family medicine a Minnesota medicine yeah journal that came out a couple of years ago and I remember reading. That. That, thinking, wow, this woman's amazing. Oh, well, and, and the <laughs> fact that you share his story and how that, you know, tragedy affected you, but how now that's your mission in life is to help yeah. with that. I think that's really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Oh, yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. It, yeah. And just as a little sidebar, I think part of why I share about that is like, I think we probably don't know how many professional women and women physicians are out in the world that have almost the same story or a very similar story. And there has been so much shame. And I have felt so much shame that like in my whole medical school application process, I like lied about how my dad died, because I thought if they really knew, because people would ask, yo, your dad passed away, like what happened? I would make up a story because I felt like if I told them how he really died, then they would think I could never be a doctor and that something was wrong with me and I would never get into medical school. And so part of, I, I try to normalize that because it is normal. <laughs> you know, Yes. I, and again,
0: <laughs> my listeners have heard me normalize in losing my sister to suicide, like we are very vocal about that because like her brain was sick. She wasn't, she was an amazing human being as sure. I'm sure your father was, they had both horrible diseases. Right. And in order to overcome the shame, we need to speak about it and talk about it and stop the stigma. And yet it's not easy. So again, thank you for doing that because I think every person who speaks up about it helps cut the stigma down a little bit. So thank you.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Yes. So, so anyway, so I mean, it was like, uh, all of this wrapped together, it was perfect, right? And like, I honest to God envisioned that that was what I was going to do until the day I died. Like, I found, I found it. This is the panacea. This is amazing. Nirvana, here we are. Right, exactly. Right. And so, you know, and I think things plug along and things are good. And I think all of us, right, like when we work for an organization, there, you know, just always things, right? Like, oh, the EHR isn't good, or oh, this person, I don't like this person, or the, you know, the, this part of my job duty isn't exactly what I wish it would be. But it, you know, I mean, I think we all know that that's life. And so we just sort of move along. And I, I had some experiences which were very unexpected for me. And I had a spidey sense, I had a feeling that there was something not good going on and that regardless of if somebody else in my shoes would have the feelings I had, I was having the feelings I was having and I needed to do something about it. And it it was horrible. I mean, it was like, I w- I think I mentioned just before we started that it was like a grief process in a way where it was like this idea and this vision and this perfect thing maybe wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And, you know, questioning myself, like, well, is something wrong with me? Like, am I making this up? Am I self sabotage I mean, all these things, right, like coming coming up to me as I tried to push away the feelings that I was getting that something that wasn't good and I needed to mm. do something about it. And so, you know, and honestly, in looking back on it, I really credit the years of my own individual therapy that I've had in working through, you know, my history of trauma and helping me to learn myself better and learn my brain better and trust myself. And and trust trust, your intuition. Yes. yes, And trust my experience, right? Like, no, 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 it isn't that I'm misunderstanding reality. My experience and my feelings are real. And the fact that I'm having a body reaction or I'm having a, a feelings reaction is real. I can't just say, no, something's wrong with me. Forget it. Because again, on paper, this is my dream job. And this is on the outside. This is fabulous. I mean, it looks fabulous, right? Like when I look back at my social media from that time, it was fabulous, <laughs> you know? And so, it, but you know, we all know, right? Social media is not always a reflection of what is actually happening. So, you know, I I had to make the really hard decision that it was time for me to go. And it was much earlier Like I said, I had planned to be there till I died, right? Like I was I was joking with my husband, like, oh, I don't even think I'll need to retire. Like I think I'll just like, you know, do this. Wow. That's incredible. And again, it was like, you know, in retrospect, I feel like that was kind of naive of me to like put all my eggs in this basket and be like, this is this is amazing. But I mean, that was also a learning experience. Was, you know, I think a lot of what your message too is, is that like we have to look out for ourselves. And like, if we're going to put our eggs in a basket, it's our own basket. It's not the basket of an organization or even the basket of a profession. It's like our own basket. Yes.
0: We're, we're in charge of that and we can make tough decisions if we need to make a change. Right. But to realize that we're in charge of, of that, I think is really important and no one teaches us that.
1: Right. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, the parts that we maybe knew before medical training were trained out of us <laughs> during our, our training, you know, is that, no, it isn't about us. It's about our patients and it's about our organization and it's about self-sacrifice when um, that isn't always healthy.
0: So, um, no, not even <laughs> close to being healthy, right? We provide right. such better care. Reminder, everybody, we provide yeah. such better care when we ourselves are well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I so I made the decision to resign, Which, like I said, it was a big grief process. I felt a lot of shame and embarrassment. And actually, kind of, it was kind of a weird or like a serendipity kind of events. But I had a, an uncle who passed away, and we weren't extremely close. But it ended up that all of our family got together right for his funeral, and we were all talking. And it was the it was really like the day I was deciding that I was going to resign. So in my head, I knew that I was putting my resignation in, and I was going to be leaving my position. And of course, my whole family, having seen me on social media but not in person, are like, "Oh my god." Your job is amazing. You know everyone's so proud of you. You're doing so good. Like you, you have, you know, like that. What a great organization that you work for. All this kind of stuff, right? And here I was sitting there, like, well, what do I do now? Do I lie and say, yeah, everything's been really good, or do I like broach the truth and feel a sh- feel shame maybe and say, you know, actually, it's not really as good as it might have looked on from the distance, and like I've actually decided to make a change. You know, and I think it was literally sitting at my uncle's funeral and the messages that you hear in a funeral about how life is short and we have to live our truth and it's about our relationships and it's about love and all of these things that you hear when you're in a, you know, sitting there, I, you know, it was that was like, the perfect to... message for yeah. you on that day. You're like, right. Oh, wait yeah. a minute. This is for me. Yes, that was exactly, you know, isn't that funny how like life works like that sometimes where it's just like, Oh my God, this is what I had to hear because I sort of knew what I needed to do, but I wasn't sure I could do it. And so it was really like that day, right? Because I had the day off of work then with my family, that like, I finally was sharing with some of my family about what I was feeling, you know, and, you know, people reacted with like, oh, my gosh, well, you need to do what's best for you. And we love you. And we want you to be healthy. And we want you to be happy. And, you know, yes, you're still wonderful, even though you might not have this fancy title or this fancy job anymore. That's not who you are. It doesn't matter."
0: That's so huge because we get so wrapped up in the titles and yes. our identity, and that that adds and amplifies the pain of of making a big decision like that. So yeah, so yeah. then what happened?
1: Well, yeah. So then so then I submitted my resignation and then it was, which maybe other people listening have had this experience, but as physicians, right, we often have this very long period where we still need to work because they're trying to find a replacement. We can't just give a two weeks notice and then be like, peace out. That's right. <laughs> so, That's yeah. right. So I had this very long 60 days where I continued to do my job and continued to lead and everyone knew that I was going, and that it was very unexpected. And then I also, it was very important to me to re- remain professional, right? And so I'm not gonna be unprofessional and say negative things about anyone specifically, or even about the organization. And I, of course, my my staff that I was overseeing, you know, it, of course, people are nervous, right? And they're like, is this a harbinger that bad things are happening? What's going on? And so having to really maintain a professional approach and also be supportive, and then also not I mean I'm really awful at I'm not a bullshitter I just can't do it. <laughs> and so trying to be authentic to myself but also maintain you know what I mean maintain. Yeah, it's just
0: like you got to stay within a narrow bounds, right? You probably yeah. really brought it in like this is what I feel comfortable talking about. Yeah. So you've got like your yeah. party line like I'm leaving and right. I hope for the best for everybody.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so um but, you know, in some ways, and I think other people probably have had this experience when leaving a place that they felt like they needed to leave, there were certain things that would happen that would help me to know that I had made the rest decision for myself. And so in a way, it was reassuring because it was like, okay, like, I wasn't making some of this stuff up in my head and this wasn't kind of like all my imagination. So, but then I was right in the race to find out what I was going to do next because I had decided I needed to leave before I specifically had another option available. And so in the field of, you know, the specific work that I do, it's not like I can just work anywhere and still be able to fulfill my passion and work with the patient population I want to work with. And so I had this, um, you know, I'm, I'm friends with our chief medical officer here where I'm currently working and had just sort of pinged him sheepishly, like, uh, might be surprising to hear. Cause you know, of course, everything on online looks like I'm fabulous and doing fabulously, but like, do you have any opportunities? And so, you know, thankfully I was welcomed with open arms and people have felt, you know, like the message was, oh my God, we're lucky that that you're looking and we're lucky to have you. And so that, has felt really good. But I think even more so than that is I finally have come to this realization that it's about me and it's about my passions and my interests and my family and the people that are important to me. And it's not necessarily about the organization or about the job, whereas that was very different than kind of my experiences up to the point of leaving. And so, you know, I love where I work now and I love the opportunity I have. And I've been able to spend some time investing in myself, like my side gigs and the things that I really like. I've been able to say no to things that do not fulfill me as far as, you know, like I realized I'm really bad at managing other physicians. I don't like it. I don't feel like physicians should have a manager. I don't want to tell them what to do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah know? I would
0: bet most listeners would agree that yeah that, right
1: and some we'd like to kind and... of run our own ship yeah and so like no, thank you. I don't want to do that. But, you know, I really love teaching and I love community education and educating families and parents about things. I love to do media stuff, you know, to try to spread the word and again, break down stigma. And so being able to pick and choose opportunities and things I'm doing that are actually things that I like, instead of being so caught up in wanting, having a specific title, because I feel like that's where my worth is, I guess, has been really, really powerful. So, and, and again, it's like, there's been kind of un- unanticipated benefits as well. I mean, to making a change, right? Like I always have told people that like, nope, I have no problem working 50 hours a week. I like to be busy. I, you know, yep. I have a nanny because she helps take care of my girls and that's fine. And I'm fine with that. And it's no big deal. And like, I don't mind missing things. Like I, for whatever reason, that was my identity. And I would say, no, I'm a go-getter. I'm going to be a C-level person. Like I, it doesn't bother me. Like that was kind of the way I, Presented myself, but I honestly think I never slowed down long enough to determine if that's actually who I was or if that's just who I thought I was supposed to be. <laughs> mm. You know,
0: and so oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. so and, common listeners, yeah. take a look at your life. Are you doing what you think
1: you should be doing or what you want to be doing?
0: That's yeah. a huge, like, million dollar question.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so I think by making the change, and you know, in some ways, I it was like having this experience it pushed me to be like, I have to do something different. But then the benefit of that was being able to just spend some time reflecting and having just more time to really decide what it was that was important to me and what wasn't important to me. And, you know, this might also be common for listeners, but like, you know, it was like, in my marriage with my husband, there was always this struggle of like, who's taking care of the kids, who's doing this, who's doing this. And I would be frustrated all the time. I'm so focused on well, I'm doing more than you, or you're doing, you know, you need to be doing this, or I have a busier job than you. So you need to be pulling the weight in this area, which is like, in retrospect, now I think back on that. And I'm like, that's silly. Like, why, like, it's I a like big
0: scorecard.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. I was boiling everything down to a scorecard because that was how my brain was working at that time. And now it's just been like, that's a, for just an example of a a benefit that seems to have nothing to do with my job, but I think it has everything to do with my job.
0: <laughs> well, it sounds like you've had a chance to exhale and reflect. What is it that I want? And again, I think so many of us high achievers, like I want to go to medical school. I mean, I was excited about medical school as soon as I was like. Senior in high school, I'm like, do I really have to go to college? Can I just go to medical school? Right. So we're so driven on our trajectory that we just keep going, 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 put our head down. And of course, the way we're trained is like keep working harder, get up earlier. That's how you quote unquote, you know, achieve success. That we never really stop and look around and like pause or get off that treadmill and say, wait a minute, what do I want to do? Yeah. I mean, it starts out with what we want to do. We want to go into medicine and maybe we know what area of medicine, but it just starts to become a lot.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, And we're
0: going, going, going and overwhelmed. And then again, we have my listeners heard me say before, like we get so into like our productivity equaling our worth or our titles equal our worth or how much money we make. It's like, wait a minute. They're so coupled that it feels hard to extract ourselves and make a change. Mm-hmm. I just love to remind, us, remind my listeners, like we are 100% worthy just because like we're humans on earth. But I get it. Like it takes a lot of work. And I love that you said you were working with a therapist and uncoupling some of that. Our yeah. identity, our ego is so into being a physician and being a title mm-hmm. that it's no wonder it's hard to leave. But why do you think it's so important for listeners who are maybe going through a similar but different situation than you to do some of that work?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, because it's needed for sustaining life, <laughs> right? I mean?
0: I mean, that's like a dumb answer, but like, well, no, it's true but, though. I always say like to people, like, how are things? Are things currently sustainable? And I'd say a majority of women that I asked that question to, they burst into tears and I say, no, I can't do this for another couple years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, it's scary. It's really scary. And who knows what like amazing things are going to come out of go- pushing through something that's scary, especially yeah. if it's something we've never done before. Like, cause I definitely fit that mold, right. Of the, you know, overachieving, you know, firstborn daughter that puts her head down and does all the things and does especially doesn't want to cause waves because her dad is having problems, just does what she's supposed to do. Cause she's going to save her family and she's going to do it all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that was me. Yeah. And so again, it wasn't through, it wasn't until I had my own, like help basically to see what I was doing that. I think it even was in my consciousness that this was even happening, that I even needed to make a change because I could totally have seen an old version of myself completely deciding that that was my problem and my fault. And if I want this job, I need to just be quiet and I need to just do what I'm told and just push through it. And, and, you know, I mean, like, as somebody who's struggled in the past with an anxiety disorder, what I see happening is I could have seen my anxiety disorder getting way worse, you know, not being the kind of mom I want to be, not being the kind of wife I want to be. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's like, I could just see it causing so much havoc, the process of pushing it all away, thinking that that was what I was supposed to do or what the right thing to do was.
0: And I would say that I see that time and again, people struggling, like they have a sense that it's not right. But again, of course they're terrified because that's what they know is just to put their head down and keep going. Again, I want to remind these listeners, you made a decision to like, no, I'm going to honor myself and this is not right for me. And you didn't yet have a plan, but did you tell yourself like, it's going to work out or how were you able to make that leap without even kind of that landing spot? Right. Cause a lot of people like to make a decision ahead of time, but I also like, Listeners to know, like, you can do it. You're brilliant and amazing. But how were you able to make that leap without knowing where you were going to land?
1: Yeah. No, that's a really good question. Cause I know for a lot of people listening, too, like, I'm more of the breadwinner of my family. So, yes, we rely on my income. I could not just not work and that be fine for our family. And so, you know, I think what I told myself was look at how you got to this job, like the one that I was leaving. And how you felt like you were never going to be able to do that. And somehow you got it together and you got this job and you didn't even think you were going to be able to get it. So what are really the chances that you're going to just fail now and get no job and be a failure, right? Like, what are the chances? Yeah, that's cute. Like, Let's go to the worst case scenario. Like, probably I won't be like destitute homeless. Yeah, I try to, I try to use logic, which, you know, because I think a lot of us have pretty strong logical brains going into medicine. For I try sure. to use logic and say, okay, seriously, statistically speaking, what are the chances that you're not going to do anything? Have you ever in your life not done anything? Well, no. <laughs> you right. know, yeah. Like what are the chances that you're literally going to be able to find no job? Well, okay. You know, so I think I tried to reassure myself in that way and then tried, I mean, part of it too was just like, to go back to basics and think about where I had been in the past and who I knew that I felt comfortable and good with, that I knew were good people. And then once I was able to think about that, then I was able to think about what types of connections I wanted to make. Because you could make connections with all kinds of people, but that may or may not end up being beneficial for you. But I tried to slow it down and really think like, who are good people? Like good, caring people that I know are doing good things. And I'm going to focus my resources on Reaching out to those people instead of just like blanket looking for anything was also kind of part of it too.
0: I love it. So you cheered yourself on. You told yourself that likely it's going to work out. Statistically speaking, I love that that you brought the statistically speaking, it's probably going to be okay. <laughs> and then you thought you took a moment to think about who would be great connections. So again, I just think that that's helpful for people to realize that you don't have to have something else set up when where you're currently at is not working for you. It can just be enough to say like, okay, it's going to work and I'm going to take the leap. Right. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So how are things going currently in your new position?
1: Oh, wonderful. I, you know, honestly, I feel like I have so much to credit other mama docs here in the state because I am getting so many wonderful patient referrals to my outpatient clinic that are people who I feel like I can really help and who feel so thankful to have come. And so these are, these are you know, adolescents, young adults that struggle with either at-risk substance use or substance use disorders, and then also mental health concerns and looking for someone who can manage both in an outpatient setting. So these are kids who maybe have done higher levels of care before, like whether that's hospitalized or, you know, residential treatments or intensive outpatient programs, but need a place to land because, you know, the treatment of their illnesses is helped by these acute episodes of care, but that's not really where the big change happens or where we see sustained kind of benefit. And so being able to be with kids and with families in the in-between times and they might need a higher level of care here and there but who's with them throughout all of that that's what I love to do and so I've you know it's been wonderful I have you know that patient panel I also see I work with Dr. Jasper who I know you've talked with before and I see health professionals and health professionals children that are looking for help because you know it can feel hard to go to a system that maybe you work in or you might work in in the future and so having something like Ellie is great because we're kind of a standalone mental health organization where you have anonymity And you don't have to worry about that. So I see, um, you know, health professionals and health professionals, children. And then I work, do work with younger kids. And really the goal is prevention of substance use disorder. And so these are kids where they have some of the, you know, mental health risk factors or family risk factors for substance use. And my goal is to get them when they're seven before that's even a thing, in order to help them to have stability and help their parents have training and stability so that we're breaking the cycle of substance use in families and that we're kind of intervening again, prevention before it even starts.
0: Oh my gosh! I love all of those different things. I'm going to work backwards. Number one, I love the whole preventive aspect as a primary care doctor. Like, what can we do to prevent things? So, thank you for doing that incredibly strong work. Number two, thank you for being that high level acuity in between the acute things, right? As a family doc, I used to see people, you know, adolescents who'd come out of inpatient, you know, psychiatric units, and like they're seeing me because it's months and months and months yeah. to get me to see a psychiatrist. And I'm like, I'm doing the best I can. I deal a lot with anxiety and depression, but you just had a very acute issue. And I felt very unfully trained, right, to yeah. be able to take care of these really sick uh, kids and adolescents. Um, teens scared me a little bit because I just like, they're so impulsive. Like, what, yeah. what can I do to prevent something bad? And I I get it that we can, can't prevent all the things. But thank you for doing that really, really critical work. The third thing that you mentioned that I think personally, we're going to have to have a whole other conversation about is this working with adolescents who maybe are using right like i think that's such a thing and i hear from so many mamas that they're concerned about the fact that for example vape pens are just like all around the schools and like now you can buy like thc gummies at the local like health market like what is going on and let's just speak a little bit about that and then let me know if we think we should talk about it further because i think that probably should be a whole other conversation
1: yeah, no, I th- we could probably have many conversations about that because it's a very nuanced topic. And, you know, we're sort of in this new world now with legalization of cannabis. And, you know, the perception of risk from marijuana among young people has never been lower. So when you ask your average young person about what their views or thoughts are about marijuana, the majority of them will say that it's normal, it's fine, it's not harmful, it's better for you than alcohol. So there's a lot of beliefs in young people, which are slowly starting to show themselves as far as increases in use of marijuana among young people, particularly young adults have seen a huge increase in marijuana use, but even among those adolescents and younger kids, we're seeing a little bit of creep with that. And so it'll be definitely something to monitor, but it does feel really new and different. And I think some of the, you know. Ways that we might know how to talk about alcohol don't always apply to marijuana. And sometimes, and so we might need a little bit of a different, more nuanced kind of way to talk about it, which can feel overwhelming and unclear because it's sort of new territory.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And having four children who are in that adolescent period and I hear about things, I would love to have a further conversation with you. And I know my listeners would as well to like learn how we can talk about this early and often. I don't know if that's a thing to say anymore, but just to like have these conversations that we don't, you know, feel like we're old news, not old news, but like, you know, how kids can be real dismissive. Like, oh, you're so old fashioned. Like, no, no, no. Let's, let's get the facts. Let's get clear ways to communicate with our kids about it early and even if they're already starting to experiment a little bit so I will invite you that back for that as well but we will just stick to the the earlier topic of the transition and the work that you're currently doing anything that we haven't yet talked about that you think it would be important for listeners to hear either how you decided to leave and or your new new career or anything else
1: yeah. Well, I don't know. I was trying to think if there were any kind of like overarching kind of themes or like takeaways that I wanted to leave. I mean, I think, you know, it's probably harping on something that we've talked about already a couple of times, but just this idea of like trusting if something doesn't feel good, you know, and trusting that you are worth it to do something that makes you feel good. And it's not a matter of something being wrong with you and that's why you feel that way or needing to... You know, buck up or none of these things, right? It's like, I, one of the things I kept telling myself, which was helpful, was because I'd always say, Well, am I overreacting? Would somebody else feel this way in this situation? And then I would try to reassure myself and say, It really doesn't matter what anyone else would feel in this situation or what's quote unquote normal or what's justified. What matters is how I feel and it's me and it's my life. And so, none of that other noise is important because it's just gonna make me feel bad, right? Like the part that's important is that I feel this way. And whatever the reasons are, I feel that way. It is how I feel. And so I need to do something with that. I can't just sort of like, let it fester or push it away.
0: I love that because this is our one life and we are really smart people. And if something doesn't feel right, if we feel we're being taken advantage of or not listened to, or whatever the case may be, like, I think that that, is important to listen to because there are a lot of other opportunities. I'm going to try not to get choked up, although my listeners have heard me, you know, get upset about this before. But, you know, I wish we had had this conversation like three years ago and my sister could have heard this conversation because I think she was really having a hard time at work
1: Yeah,
0: and didn't feel, you know, that it was possible to leave. And in fact, the last time I spoke to her three days before she died, she said, I need to find something else. Um, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so burnt out. And, you know, I had a sisterly conversation with her and she was feeling better at the end of the call. But again, I just I know she's not the only one out there suffering, staying in a job that they think they need to stick in. Like I get it. And with coaching, like I can help people deal with a certain situation and feel a little bit more in control and better about it. But there are certain situations that are, quote unquote, toxic, and you just got to get the heck out. Right. Right. Yeah. No, thank you for being brave and sharing your story, because I think someone listening, this will be the impetus that they need to say, hey, I can do this, too. I don't have to stay in this position just because it's got the most amazing title and it's the most amazing job I could have ever dreamed of.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it, because we're worth more than that. You know, 100%, 100%. Well, I am so grateful for the work that you're doing. You mentioned that you
0: see all kinds of folks, including physicians and their children. How can people find you?
1: Yeah, so there's a few ways. So the easiest way would be to go just Google Elemental Health Minnesota or just Elemental Health, and you'll find our website. And there's a section that's for medication management, which would be psychiatry. And so you can use an online form to get a hold of us there. You can, it has a link to a phone number that you can call if that's preferential. You know, you can request me by name, so Dr. Polly, and say that you're looking for me, or you know, you can explain what it is that you're looking for help with, and then that would be. Way to get directed towards me or to other medication providers um, in our system. And we have a big network also of therapists. And so, you know, you can always start with me. And if medication maybe isn't what you're interested in, I also do therapy with my patients and not medicine, or we can get you with a therapist that would be a good fit if that's where you'd like to start. But I'm very happy for people to start with me. We can do an evaluation or just spend some time talking about what's going on, and then I can help direct you into the right kind of place that might be a good fit for you. That's
0: fantastic. And yeah. what typically is the like the timeline? Because again, I know I'm like, oh, you're amazing. Is it going to take a really long time? Say I'm a mom who's home and I realize that I've gotten into this habit of drinking every evening to deal with all the stress and I'm concerned that it's becoming more of a problem. And I really want to get in to see you because I know this is your area of expertise. How long might it take? Or is there a way that I can like, I don't want to say jump to the front of the line because that doesn't yeah. feel right to me, but
1: yeah, no. Well, so people are at a lucky point in time, maybe because I actually have immediate openings right now because I'm still building my patient panel. So like looking at my schedule for next week, I could get somebody in to see me next week if they wanted to see me. So good. Yeah. We also, um, and you probably, people could reference back to Dr. Jasper's talk because I know she's shared more details, but I'm part of the program that she has going on here at LA where where physicians and health professionals can kind of get easier access to services knowing how how hard things are right now and so if for some reason i was full that program i think she's calling it the empath program and i'll I'll look back
0: and see if i can find that link and i'll put links to both in the show notes okay but i know these listeners are brilliant and they can look things up and or message me um, but i just want to make sure that we have a way for people to get in to get the help from you because you're doing brilliant and amazing work
1: yeah, thank you. Yeah. And people can also reach out to me on social media. I try to be active on Instagram under Dr. Sarah Pauly and then on Facebook also. But perfect.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for taking time and sharing your brave story of transition today. And I look forward to having you back so we can dig into how to have these conversations with our kids and how to support us as mama's world of, you know, substance, substances that seem to be around every corner.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Have a great day. Bye.
1: Bye.
0: Are you ready to take control of your life and put these tools into action? I'm here to help. I offer free consultations for physician moms to see if my one-on-one coaching package is right for you. You can sign up for a free consult at www.mommadoclifecoach.com.